part five today. We'll finish it up next week with part six of this series. We've been talking about all these different masks. And what we've discovered is that God's call for us, Jesus' plan for us, is authenticity. That we would not put on a front for anyone. That we would be our true selves. That we would be willing to own who we are. So we've looked at what we call the avatar mask. This thing that we do, especially on kind of social media, where we present this image of ourselves that's just not really the real life that we live. Uh, We talked about the cover-up mask. How when we have sin or habits or hurts, we try to cover those things up and make sure nobody knows what's really going on. We talked last week about what we called the chameleon mask. This tendency, this natural inclination we have to try to blend in, to try to be like everybody else, when in fact God's calling us to stand out. He's calling us to shine. And so we're not going to settle for just trying to be normal and be like everybody else. We're going to pursue what God has for each and every one of us. Today, I want to talk to you about a mask that I'm probably more familiar with than any of these others. I've worn them all and, and, and more. Uh, but the one we're going to talk about today, I've probably worn for the longest time and for the deepest season. It's what I call the financial mask, or we could call it the keeping up with the Joneses mask. This is that desire so many of us have to project some sort of image about our financial status, right? Whether it starts young with with clothing, uh, or it moves to to vehicles, or uh, adult stuff like boats, or houses, or whatever, right? Like, I know when I said adult stuff, some of you are like, where are we going? Sorry, my mind's not as dirty as yours, okay? JK. Uh, My bad. Didn't mean to take everybody to a dark place there. I apologize. So sad that the word adult has been perverted in our culture, Uh, right? It can be different things, different levels, but we've got this desire, so many of us, to project something that isn't actually true about our financial status. For me, this started probably at an early age, but the first place that I really remember this becoming an issue was my senior year of high school. My senior year of high school, uh, I convinced my parents to co-sign for me to get a credit card so I could build my credit. So Capital One had all the cool commercials, so that was the credit card that I needed. So I got a Capital One credit card with a $300 limit, and the deal was I would pay it off at the end of every month. And so I honored that deal until high school was over. (laughs) And then I went to college, and once I got to college, I had access to all of this money that everybody else that I went to school with didn't have access to. And so I started dressing at a different class than what I had dressed before, right? Like I had the most expensive clothes, the nicest clothes, and the biggest variety of them. I would go out to eat anytime anybody wanted to go anywhere. Yes, I'm in, right? Because I could just swipe the card, and I was good. Uh, and, And so... Also discovered something else in college. Not only was I able to keep using that Capital One card, but all of a sudden, everybody else wanted me to give me their credit card too. Uh, and so I got other credit cards. I got credit cards for certain stores because, man, I could get bonuses and free stuff, right? And all this stuff. And so I started racking up credit cards. And when I moved to Oklahoma to do a ministry internship, I moved with some credit card debt. But thankfully, it wasn't too massive. It wasn't too deep. But when I was in Oklahoma, we got paid $250 a month for our internship for about 60 hours of work a week. Uh, So we lived basically as missionaries. We lived on support. We 
sent out letters and asked people to help sponsor us. And I got some decent support, but not nearly as much as the level of spending that I wanted to spend. So I kept racking up credit cards. In fact, it's when in Oklahoma that I remember making my first balance transfer. I could switch to another card and they'd give it to me a year for free with no interest, right? So I made a balance transfer. So I just start stacking this stuff up on top of each other. 2005, I get hired here. I come out here to be the youth pastor. God sends me to Mississippi. And I come to Mississippi to start my dream job, this thing that I've been praying for and believing God for, and I've got a deep financial hole that I'm in that nobody else knew about. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't go to my pastor. I didn't ask for any help. I just continued the bad habits that I had already formed, and it kept getting deeper and darker. So much so that by the time in 2008, when I started dating this girl who I would eventually marry named Melody, I laid it on thick. I took her to the nicest restaurants on the nicest dates. Man, she thought I had something special going on uh, until we got married. And then the reality hit. Then the mask came off, right? And she discovered I didn't have nearly as much money and nearly as much budget to go out and do this stuff. In fact, what I really had was a whole lot of stuff that I didn't even have anymore, didn't have anything to show for that I was still paying for. And where it really hit, where it really became painful, was a few weeks after we got married, we had the opportunity from from a friend. They were selling a king-size bed. So we bought a king-size bed. We thought that sounded good for our our marriage. You know, we're going to do this. Uh, So we bought the bed, which was a good deal. And then we decided we were going to go get a mattress. So went to Ashley Furniture to get a mattress, and we decided to do what I just knew how to do for now 11, 12 years. We went and applied for credit. And for the first time in my life, I got denied credit. And I remember the kick in the stomach that I received when they walked in as we're laying on this mattress that we've fallen in love with, that my bride is now going to get to sleep on, and all of a sudden they come out and say, I'm sorry, Mr. Souden, your credit came back denied. I was humiliated, I was embarrassed, I was devastated. This was an experience I had never had before. Um, And I wish I could say at that moment, man, everything changed. And that's when I I turned things around and I started working my way out of debt and I changed my, my spending habits. Unfortunately, it wasn't quite that quick. But what that did for me was it started a process where God started working on me, where God started speaking to me. And that process took a couple of years. To where I remember in 2011, uh, we started feeling like God was bringing a big shift in our lives. Something big was about to happen, and we thought we were going to be moving somewhere else and starting a church. And, And so we started praying through, God, what do you have for us? What are you calling us to? And I remember the moment when I realized if God said, Troy and Melody, I want you to move to India as missionaries. I want you to go to Kenya or insert nation here, right? I want you to pack up and move to another country and and sell out to tell the gospel to a different people group. I remember thinking if God told us to do that, we couldn't say yes because we were so deeply in debt. When we got married, we we had about $60,000 worth of debt. Uh, And when I say debt, I'm not counting the mortgage. That's a different thing. A mortgage is is worthwhile debt, but that's student loans. That's medical debt. That's credit card debt. That's car debt. Like every kind of debt you can have, we had it between the two of us, right? Um, And probably both of us in many instances. Um, I remember thinking there's no way we can do what God called us to. And the conviction on me was so heavy. Because in 1996, 
when I responded to God's call for me to go to ministry, I told God, God, I'll go wherever you send me. I'll go wherever you want me to do. I'll talk to whoever you want me to talk to, God. I'm yours. And here I was 15 years later. And because of my financial unfaithfulness, I could no longer fulfill that commitment I had made to my God. And I was broken. I was devastated. And thankfully, Pastor Ricky, who was the pastor of the church at the time, did a message on, on finances. And one of the things he talked about is something many of you might be familiar with. He talked about the debt snowball. And the debt snowball is this concept that Dave Ramsey and Crown Financial uh, teach, but essentially where you free up $200 in your budget, whether you cancel something, you get rid of something, you change something, whatever. But you find 200 bucks and you apply it to your smallest bill until that one's paid off. And then you roll over that 250 bucks or whatever it was into your next bill until that's paid off. And then you roll all that over, etc. So we started debt snowballing, and I'm proud to tell you this morning that barring a disaster like me cutting my hand open and having to have an unexpected surgery, just hypothetical example, barring something like that happening, uh, we are on track to be out of debt, and when I say again out of debt, not counting a mortgage, but out of debt by January 2021. We're this close. And that clap goes to God and not to us because he has been incredibly faithful. We haven't made every decision right since then. We haven't said no to everything we should have said no to and yes to everything we should have said yes to. We've made some mistakes along the way, but we've done probably more right than wrong in the past 10 years. And through God's faithfulness and his blessing, we are this close to kissing debt goodbye finally, right? To being done with that. And can I say this? We ain't going back. Right? It took some sacrifice. It took, for us, one of the first things we did is we canceled cable. Now, this was before there were, like, good alternatives to cable. It was either you had cable or you didn't have TV. Right? Uh, we canceled cable. That, that was painful. I enjoy sports. I missed a lot of games that I wanted to see. It was a sacrifice. We started saying no to eating out. We, we had to do this crazy thing. We had to learn how to cook. <laughs> right? Like, what? God forbid. <laughs> right? Actually discovered that we actually enjoy cooking and we're actually like decent at it. Uh, like had no idea before we really started to buckle down, right? We, it required some sacrifice, but man, sacrifice is simply giving up something you love for something you love more. And as I stand about four or five months from financial freedom, can I say that feeling is so much greater than any of those meals that we didn't go out to, than any of those games that I didn't get to watch, right? Than any of those sacrifices we made, any of those nicer cars that we could have driven while we're driving some $2,000 beater. Um, man, can I say this? Don't get a car payment. Just stay off of car payments. Pay cash for your vehicles. There's so much freedom in that. Um, we, we took the mask off. And by God's goodness, man, we've come a very, very, very long way. And so I want to talk to you today about the financial mask. I want to talk to you about this tendency that we have to desire to keep up with the Joneses. And anytime you talk about money in church, people get a little nervous, right? Uh, so I'll just go ahead and tell you, there's not going to be a card that comes out for you to pledge X amount of money. Uh, like we're not passing offering buckets at the end of service. Like you can breathe and you can let go of your wallet. I'm not coming for your money. I want to see you blessed. I want to see you free. 
I want to see you able to be the blessing that God has called you and created you to be in other people's lives. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk a little bit about debt. You see, the Bible contains more verses about money than it does about heaven and hell combined. Why is that? Because God understands that money intersects virtually every aspect of our life. Money will intersect family. It will intersect marriage. It will intersect your work and your career, right? It'll impact your education. Like almost everything we do is somehow connected to money. And so God speaks to us about money because he loves us, because he cares about us, because he wants our lives to be truly blessed, Across the 2,350 verses in scripture that talk about money, he basically sums it up with two things. If you take everything the Bible says about money, you can, you can limit it, reduce it down to two concepts. One is generosity, and the other is stewardship. Now, I was raised in church. I was raised with parents who loved me and loved God, and they taught me to tithe. Many of you heard me say this before. So I learned to tithe from an early age. Man, I remember literally we got a $2 allowance when I was a kid, and we put two dimes in the offering, right? That was just what we did. That was how we were taught. So tithing has never really been a challenge for me, but I misunderstood the idea that, hey, if I tithe, I'm just going to be blessed. And the reality is, yes, tithing brings blessing into my life, life, but stewardship also brings blessing into my life. And when you combine the two, when you choose to be a good steward of what God's given you and you choose to be generous with what God's given you, that's when God really starts to breathe on your finances. But for me, I only had half the equation. I was generous, but I didn't have any stewardship. And so I had to learn the hard way to begin to steward what I had, to begin to make a budget. Budget was like a dirty word to me, right? Like, like who wants to mess with a budget? That just sounds exhausting. And I'll be real, it is. Like when you sit down and first start trying to have a budget and figure out where your money is going, it takes months to really get it to where you have a concept of what you have and where it should go and what, how much, you know, it's like, how much do I spend for groceries a month? I don't know. Like we go buy groceries, right? At least that's how it was for me. Some of you are way more organized and you're probably like, oh, I know exactly. It's $752.37, nerds. Um, but just kidding. I respect people like you. I just am not you. I don't understand you, but I respect you very much. It brings a great blessing into your family if you can be that way. I know that for sure. So take the time to, to get a budget, to figure out where your money's going, to understand what has God given you and what can you do with it. If you don't, you're going to have a mess. I had a mess. I had a massive financial mess. I had so much lack of stewardship in my life that when we got married, not only did I have maxed out credit cards, not only did I have a terrible credit score that caused me to not be able to get that mattress for my new bride, but I had thousands of dollars of medical debt from a surgery I had on my nose. I broke my nose as a youth pastor playing basketball with some students, took an elbow to the nose, and I got a right angle in my nose, and we had to put that thing back together. Uh, and I had insurance for that, that the church provided for me, but I was such a bad steward that I didn't file for it properly. And I ended up owing thousands of dollars because I just didn't take the time to do the right steps, to walk out the right process. Not only did I have that kind of debt that would start showing up in collections letters at our house, my new bride would open and wonder what is going on. 
I also had this. I had a seatbelt ticket that I got on a mission trip in 2007 in the state of California for $75 that I forgot to pay. And about a year and a half after we got married, I went to renew my driver's license in the state of Mississippi and found out I had a warrant for my arrest in the state of California for an unpaid seatbelt ticket that now was, I think, $700. Uh, And so $700 that we did not have. Guess where that $700 came from? Credit card. Had no choice. I wouldn't have a driver's license otherwise. We charged that $700 to a credit card. So how much did it end up costing us? A whole lot more than that. That was the financial mess that my wife married. And by God's grace and her faithfulness, she chose to stay married to me while I grew up. While I got some maturity, while I began to learn how to undo a lot of these bad habits and start doing things the right way. Start being a steward that God had called me to be. I wonder how many of you today here in the auditorium with us watching out in Facebook world, wherever you may be, I wonder how many of you identify a lot with old Troy. I wonder how many of you are in a place of financial despair today, where the debt is so high you don't see how you can ever get out, where it seems like these habits are so deeply ingrained, I don't even know where to start. If that's you today, I come to speak hope. I come to tell you that you can do it. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you it's easy. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that it's not painful because that would be a lot. It will hurt. It is not fun. It is not enjoyable. But you can get out and you can get free. The word of God is full of principles that if we will apply them, will bring freedom into our lives. God is so incredibly good. Proverbs 22.7 says this very famously. It says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Pretty black and white, pretty direct and straightforward. The borrower is slave to the lender. And having been the borrower, I can tell you that it's true. That was the revelation I had in 2011. That if God wanted me to go to a different part of the world, if he wanted me to give up everything, I couldn't do it. Because I had to stay employed. I had to make enough money to pay off the debts that I had acquired. I was a slave. And as I stand here at the, the precipice of financial freedom, as I can see it, as I can taste it, as I can smell it, it's been a long journey. I'm so grateful that God's brought me on it. I'm so grateful that we've been faithful to it the past 10 years. And I'm so excited to be able to walk in it. And I want that for you. I want you to have that experience. I want you to know what it's like to have the freedom that God has for you. Very famous saying you've probably heard, but I think it's very true of our culture is this, is that we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like, right? That's, that's, the, that's the financial mask. That's the keeping up with the Joneses mask. I think I put on the slide, hashtag America. That's who we are and that's how we roll, right? It's what so many of us do. And just like we said last week when we talked about the chameleon mask, like let's, God's not calling us to be normal. He's calling us to be something else. Let's not be normal when it comes to finances. Normal's broke. Normal's in debt. Normal's in slavery. 
And God does not desire that for his people. I'm not saying there's never a time to use credit. I'm not saying there's never a time to to take out a loan, right? There are situations where it has to happen, but the vast majority of what we do when it comes to this is simply because we are impatient, simply because we want something today that God has designed for us to have tomorrow. And we are unwilling to wait until tomorrow to have it. Dave Ramsey famously says, if you'll live like no one else, then you can live like no one else. If you'll choose to not give into the culture and steal from tomorrow, then you're going to get to a place of financial freedom where you can get those things. You can have those things, but you've got to choose to live like no one else. The average American household today carries a credit card balance of over $16,000. According to a study at the very, it was December of 2019 by NerdWallet. That's right, what up? NerdWallet did this study of America. Over $16,000 credit card balance. That's the average American household. And here's the problem with that. The average keeps going up. The average is not $16,000, but we're paying it down and we're getting out of debt. The average is $16,000, but three years from now, it's going to be $18,000. And then it's going to be $20,000, right? The average just continues to spiral out of control. Don't be average. I believe this. I believe that if we have a debt, we need to repay it. Remember when I became pastor here, the church had about $53,000 in debt from our original church planting loan. Debt that nobody was at the church who, who had taken on. Nobody who was in leadership had been a part of acquiring that, and we really didn't have anything to show for it anymore. And I remember I had one person who I really respect in the church came to me, and he said, I think the best thing for us to do is just default on this. He said, we didn't take this money out. We didn't do this. We don't have anything to show for it. This church cannot survive and pay this debt off. We need to just default on this, take the hit, and move forward. Can I tell you how tempting that was? How easy that seemed to say, hey, it's not our fault. We didn't do this. This was, this was a different group of people. These were other people who made this decision. But God wouldn't let me do it. He just wouldn't. He said no. You cannot default on this. I don't care if you didn't take it out. This is the church, and this is who signed for it, and you are going to repay it. And by God's faithfulness, unbeknownst to me, but I truly believe this would have never happened had we defaulted on that. God had a plan for us to get a free building. And God moved us in here rent-free. And because he did that, we stand here today debt-free. We were able to take everything we were putting to rent and pay off our debt, and we were able to pay all of that off, and we have our integrity in place. We have the blessing of God on our church. Psalm 37, 21 says, The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. I'll tell you something I love about City Church. This church gives generously. Church that moved in here with over $50,000 in debt dug deep and built a house for a lady in Macedonia at the beginning of this year because she didn't have one because hers burnt down. We sacrificed and we made that happen, man. I think that verse is summed up, man. We chose not to be the wicked and not repay. We chose to repay it. And now we're allowed to be generous. Generosity is flowing through us. You see, God's design for his people is that we would be blessed to be a blessing, 
right? That, that we would be a river, that he would be able to flow resources through us to those who are in need. But if we don't ever learn to be stewards, if we don't ever learn to handle money well, he can never give us more. It's a very, very basic principle. He says, if you're faithful with the small things, I'll make you Lord over much. And by God's grace, in 2011, I started to learn to be faithful with small things. Started the process of learning to be faithful in little things. Here's what I didn't know at the time, but I believe now. Had I not learned those hard financial lessons, he could have never allowed me to be pastor of this church. He could have never put me in position to make financial decisions like that because I hadn't proven myself faithful. So many things have come into my life because I chose to get this area under control. My marriage is so much better off. My kids are so much better off. My, my, my ministry is so much better off because I simply learned to be a steward. Now, I told you there's two aspects of finances, and I'm focusing today absolutely on the debt side, but let's talk about the generosity side real, real quick because it is the same coin, and we have to hit both sides. We can't be one without the other. We have to walk in both. When we started this series, we looked at these woes that Jesus pronounced on the Pharisees in Matthew 23, seven things that he says that because of their hypocrisy, he's pronouncing these woes upon them. And one of the woes dealt with this area, specifically Matthew 23, 23, he says this. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. See, Jesus addresses the area of tithing. One of the things that people will bring up a lot of times, well, the tithing's not New Testament. Tithing's is Old Testament, and I believe in tithing with all my heart. I am all in on tithing, and it's not because I'm the pastor of a church. I've been tithing my whole life. Um, we... we and I say this very cautiously because I'm not trying to bring any glory or attention to us. We tithe 23% of our income right now. We go up every year. When 2011, we went from 10% to 15%. As soon as we went from 10% to 15%, my wife's job gave her a raise from $10 an hour to $15 an hour. <laughs> you can't make that up. It's God's demonstration of his blessing on us, increasing our giving. Ever since then, we've gone up every year. Now, every year we haven't gone up a full percent. There's been some half percent years. Sometimes our faith is a little stronger than others. But we've gone up every year in our generosity. And so when I preach on tithing, I'm not asking you to do something for me. I'm asking you to do something with me. I'm asking you to trust God. I'm not even telling you to give 23%. I'm just asking you to hit that 10 if you're not there yet. And then let God speak to you. Let God lead you beyond that. But I know where we are today is because of our stewardship and because of our generosity. It's because these things that God has blessed us and allowed us to take so many steps in our family and I believe also in the church. So Jesus in the New Testament says, look, you should have done all this other stuff. You've neglected the matters of mercy. You've neglected justice. You've neglected things, faithfulness, things that are so much more important. You need to do those to the hypocrites. But he didn't say do that instead of tithing. He said you should have done that alongside tithing, right? And so we don't abandon tithing for things that are more important. It's a part of what God is calling for us as his believers, as his followers. It's something that we're all asked to do. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be a tither? If you're a wage earner, that means your hourly or salary. I believe this, a tithe is 10% of your gross income. 
Sometimes people are like, hey, I tithe off the net. I don't think if you tithe off the net, you're going to hell. You're not, you're not going to hell if you don't tithe, right? Like this is not a heaven and hell issue. So please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I do believe this. Tithe is designed to be the first 10% of what we have. And so I give to God before I even give to the IRS, before I even give to the state of Mississippi. Now, physically that's impossible because the state of Mississippi and the IRS take money before it ever gets to my bank account, right? So I understand that, but I take that number and that's what I multiply from. That's where I figure out and calculate from. Um, So if you're giving off of the net, praise God that you're giving, but I'd encourage you to consider trusting God even a little bit more. And opening up the God, okay, you've got even, even a little beyond that for me. And I believe you're going to see him confirm it and bless you to a greater degree as you demonstrate you're trustworthy in this area. So when it comes to your buying decisions, I want to give you a couple things to write down before we wrap up. We've talked about debt and, and stewardship, and we've talked about generosity. So let's, let's bring it all together. Let's put a bow on it. Let's finish this up. What do we do when it comes to, hey, do I buy this car? Do I buy these, you know, do I go on to this place to eat? Like, whatever that financial decision is, when you have that choice, do I get this package from Comcast or this package or this cell phone or this cell phone, right? Like, whatever those decisions are, let me just give you two things that, that are going to guide you, two things that are going to bless you. If you'll ask yourself or, or check these two things, I think it'll absolutely change your life. The first one is this, is if I can't pay for it now, I can't afford to buy it. If I can't pay for it now, I can't afford to buy it. Now, there's two exceptions to this. One is a house. A mortgage is a totally different thing. It's a worthwhile investment in most cases. Now, when I bought a house in 2006, I bought too much house. So you can still make a bad decision in that. Uh, I also bought like right before the bubble burst, which was great. Thank you. Uh, Made all kinds of mistakes. Uh, But generally speaking, a mortgage is a good investment. So don't apply that. But outside of a mortgage... If I, can't, if I can't pay for it now, then I'm going to wait. Uh, and that may mean I can't have something as nice. That's the sacrifice, but it's worth it. If I can't pay for it now, I can't afford to buy a mortgage. The first thing, the other one is this, is medical, right? Like, stay alive. If you need to have a surgery, if something, like, do what you got to do. Like, that's the best advice I've ever given you. Stay alive, right? You're going to tweet that. Pastor Troy said, I can live. <laughs> Didn't know I was in the Bee Gees, did you? Right? So... Some of you have no clue what I just said. <laughs> I didn't know we spoke in tongues in from the pulpit, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, keep yourself alive. Take care of the medical stuff that you need to, but repay it. I know there's people out there like, hey, default on this, let it go. Man, the wicked borrow and do not repay. Make it a priority to get it paid off. Uh, take care of yourself. So generally speaking, if I can't pay for it now, don't buy it. I know the hardest one for most people in this is a vehicle. Man, if you can get to the place where you pay cash for vehicles, it might mean you have to get a less, I'm not going to say that. It will mean you have to get less of a car. It won't be as nice of a vehicle, but it will be paid for and it will be yours. Most people don't buy a car, they buy a payment. Uh, And that payment is a killer uh, because that car depreciates massively. So if I can't pay for it now, I can't afford to buy it. Number two is this. If I can't pay for it and still tithe, I can't afford to buy it. If you'll just run every financial decision through those two lenses, if there's just those two things, that sums up scripture right there. That that sums up every financial principle in the word of God. It's just those two questions. If I can't afford to pay for it now, then then I can't afford it. 
And if I can't afford to pay for it and still tithe and still honor God and still make him first, then I can't afford it. Now, for some of you, if you lived by those two principles, it would radically alter your lifestyle. Like you might have to sell your house. You might have to massively change the standard of living that you're at to do that. And for me to suggest that is highly uncomfortable and probably borderline inappropriate to you. How dare you suggest that I have to do this? If that's you, let me say this. I'm not out here to hurt you. My desire is not to take anything from you. My desire is to see you walk in the freedom that God's made available to you. And if you'll take these steps, it will be uncomfortable. And it will be difficult on the front end. But the blessing it will bring into your life is huge. And I am all in on that. I'm talking about I've seen this for for years and years and years. I've seen God bless because we've lived by those two very, very basic principles. We don't buy anything if we can't pay for it now. And we don't buy anything if we can't tithe if we buy it. And man, in limiting that, here's the, here's the thing that we don't understand. Boundaries bring freedom. It seems contradictory, right? It seems like, hey, having limits is, is this massive issue. I'll give you one quick example as we close. Last week, we went on a trip. We went to Virginia. My brother uh, got married, and he asked me to come to his wedding. And so thankfully, because I have a wife who manages our budget and who is much more disciplined and on top of things than I am, we have a travel budget. We have every month, we set aside money for travel. Now, we don't travel every month, but part of our budget is we set aside money for travel. And as we set that money aside, it accumulates from month to month until we go on a trip. So this trip kind of came up unexpectedly, but we had money in the travel budget to pay for it. So we went on the trip. We were gone for eight days, and we were supposed to, for a couple of those days, be staying at my brother's house. Now, at my brother's house, what we didn't know is there were going to be about 25 other people staying there. Uh, and so we had one little bedroom for the five of us, and I'm so grateful that he offered it. I'm not upset with my brother at all. Man, it was very generous of him. But we looked at this bedroom, and we were like, the kids aren't sleeping, and if the kids don't sleep, we're not sleeping. And the last thing we want to do is be with family and not get any sleep. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like you're already tested by certain people. It's like I want to be well-rested before I get tested. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I just made that up. You can just, that's free. Uh, so we went out and we got a hotel room for those two extra nights. It wasn't in the budget. But because of my wife's discipline, and because she'd been so on top of it, we were able to make some other tweaks to the trip, and we were able to pay for it. We didn't have to charge anything. We didn't have to dip into savings. We didn't have to touch anything. That's freedom, right? That's the freedom that the budget brought. It sounds like it's, con- like, like it's constricting. It sounds like it's going to limit you. It sounds like it's going to prevent you from enjoying things. But what it actually does is it brings freedom to you. I promise. If I can't afford to pay for it now, I can't afford it. I can't afford it and still tithe. I can't afford it. Live by those two simple, simple, simple principles and you'll see a massive difference in your finances. I promise.